10, ten years ago, I took a group of college students to Indianapolis, Indiana for a, a John Maxwell Leadership Conference. And at the time, I was 35 years old. I took three men with me uh, to go sit at the feet of John Maxwell. Booming, deep voice, John Maxwell. Okay. On the second day of the conference, there was a luncheon uh, put on by Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was a big, long table. I mean, this thing, you know, huge, long table, probably 40 college students sitting at this table and me. Okay. And at the end of the table, there are four bigwigs from Campus Crusade corporate. I mean, these are guys in pleated, ironed wool trousers, wingtips, and polo shirts that say, Campus Crusade for Christ. Because back then, everybody had the really cool polo shirts with their church logo or ministry logo right over their heart. And so they start working the table. And they, you know, hello, da 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 And they get to me, and the one guy who's clearly the leader looks me square in the eye and says, so are you a sophomore? Thank God for Josh Adams, who was sitting right next to me and immediately bellows, No, man, that's my pastor. He's married and has kids. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Woo! It's not the first time somebody's gotten my age wrong, although that doesn't happen anymore. Last time, five years ago, five years ago, I was at Asbury University and I was turning in grades for the class that I teach. I happened to be wearing jeans and my Chaco sandals and a t-shirt, so clothing might have been an issue, but I'm waiting outside the registrar's office, and this young student starts asking me questions. So what classes do you have? And yes, it's a she. And I, and I say, well, I've only got the one class. Oh, tell me about it. Do you like it? Da, 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 and back and forth. And five questions into it, I finally realize, one, this is a girl, and two, she's smiling too big. So I immediately, in embarrassment, I'm like, no, 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 I'm, an I'm the instructor, and I'm here turning in grades. At that precise moment, a Star Trek thing happened where the pigment of her skin turned red as an apple. <laughs> and she says to me, oh, oh, yeah, that's cool, and turned and walked, <laughs> walked, walked the other way. Now... It's not just my age. I miss Ryan Page for this because he was my buddy in crime. People on the phone, on the phone, people get my gender wrong all the time. <laughs> Go figure. I haven't figured out why they think I'm a woman. So I'm calling Humana, my insurance company, or Citibank, or a business, or whatever it is. And on the other end, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I love it when they pull up my account and it says Mark Andrew Vanderpool with my real name. And then all of a sudden, I, yes, sir. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't just undergo a sex change operation while we've been talking on the phone. They don't, you know, they never go, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were a woman. They just, you know, as if I wouldn't notice, right? <laughs> I've never heard myself on the phone, but I'm told I sound like a 50-something woman who smoked all her life. But <laughs> I don't know what that sounds like, but apparently that's me. All of us, all of us in this room have been sized up and judged. And let's be honest, we've been judged unfairly time to time. We've been sized up wrong. People have looked at what we were wearing or how we look or how we sound, or they've measured up our athletic ability just by looking at us, and they've judged us unfairly. 
And if you're a student, if you're a teenager, I hate to tell you, this will happen. All the bad stuff you remember from elementary school when they picked teens. Now, these days, you know, they want you to feel good about yourselves, teenagers, so the gym teachers are instructed, be fair, be fair, be equal. You know, back when I was in school, the gym teacher picked the captain of the basketball team and the captain of the football team, and they picked who was on the teams. I only know this because I was always the last chosen, you know. So, right, it, it will happen. And this kind of judging unfairly actually carries over into adult life. When you become an adult, you get judged unfairly. It happens all the time. It's why we have a saying in American culture, don't judge a book by its... In 50 years, that's going to make no sense. Really, your great-grandchildren... Grandpa, what's a book? Well, back when I was a kid, we had these things, and, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. The other way this is said is, looks can be deceiving. Things aren't always the way they appear. Despite these proverbs that we have in our culture, we still do it all the time. We judge based on appearances. We size people up based on what we can see. It's the weirdest thing. Isaiah and I have had several conversations about how when you're wearing a suit, you just get treated better. I'm, t I'm telling you, I used to fly in my comfortable clothes. I don't do that anymore. I learned my lesson at, I can't remember which airport it was, Orlando Airport. I happened to be in a suit, and I, they overbooked the flight, and they were telling people, we're going to bump you off. And I knew Jenny would be madder than a hornet if I wasn't home, okay? So I was like... But I was in a suit, and when I got to, oh, yes, sir, oh, you will most definitely be on the flight. I'm telling you, you go to a restaurant, if you're in a suit and tie, better service, better, it's weird. And people do this all the time. This, this year, they did a study among college students. So if you're in college, you've been ratted out. They, they conducted a survey, and they asked college students, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Now, you'd think it would be like, I want to be better at math. Da, da, da. You know what 90% of them said? 90% of them said they would change some physical feature about themselves. 9 out of 10. We work so hard to change all the wrong things, don't we? <laughs> we work so hard. Every January, we're hitting the gym, changing all the wrong things. Um, this, this is critical. Today, I'm going to tell you where the proverb, don't judge a book by its cover, came from. It actually came from the Bible came from the life of David. That's where it came from. And, and it's critical and it's important because someday you are going to face down a lion or a bear or a giant. And how you look, what you wear, what you have, your talents and abilities, none of that is going to matter. What's going to matter is what's on the inside. And that's why I want to talk to you about this today because I want you to win over those giants. If you brought a Bible, open it to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. That's where we're going to be today. 1 Samuel 16, it's in the Old Testament. If you've never written this book, uh, read this book, this would be a great book to read in the month of September with this question in mind. What, who is the kind of person that God seeks? Read 1 Samuel with that question in mind. Who is the kind of man or a woman that God seeks? All right, 1 Samuel, we're in chapter 16. All right, and to give you a little bit of background to get to this point, okay? The Israelites, God's people, 
wanted a king because all the other nations had a king. All the other nations have Air Force One, and when their king comes out, there's the presidential motorcade and really cool Secret Service agents, and we don't have that, God. We want to have a president too. When? And God, being the wonderful, loving, gracious God that he did, he gave in <laughs> to what they wanted. I'm summarizing. Some of you Old Testament theologians are like, what? Yes. God let them have a king. And so Saul was chosen. And the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. In other words, he was really tall. This guy must make a great king. I mean, look how tall he is. It's awesome. And so Saul is chosen. Saul disobeys God. God tells him to do something, and, and Saul doesn't do it. And Saul does the thing that so often happens. He looked at what God said, and he, and he thought, there's part of the problem, thought, thinking, thought to himself, ah, that doesn't make sense, and I, what about, and, you know, and I think really and it probably should play out this way. And, he, and so he didn't do the very thing that God wanted. And, and God decided, okay, you're fired, I'm going to pick somebody else, and that's chapter 16. All right, so let's pick it up, First Samuel 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So right in these first few verses, Samuel, who is a prophet, he's a spokesman for God, he speaks for God for a living, Samuel's really upset at the turn of affairs. He really liked Saul. Saul was a likable guy, and Samuel liked him. And Samuel is heartbroken that Saul's, you know, term has been ended. And he's, what's going to happen to Israel? How's this going to play out? He's, he's really worried about it, right? But God has chosen someone else, so let's keep going. Uh, find a man named Jesse who lives there in Bethlehem, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Verse 2. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If, Saul's if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. And this is key. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel said. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So Samuel goes off to Bethlehem. He's torn up internally about the fact that his friend Saul is not going to be king anymore. But God tells him to do something. He up and goes. He goes to Bethlehem. And one of the things that I find interesting coincidence, if you'll put that back up there, is that he goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth, whose story is also recorded in the Old Testament. All right? So he goes there. He pulls the family in and probably the town elders and they go to do this, you know, purification sacrifice thing. So that's verse 6 and following. When they arrived, verse 6, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And there it is. So Samuel is already anointed one man king. 
is friends with the guy, doesn't want his term to end, go to Bethlehem because I'm gonna, the next king is coming from there. It's coming from the family of Jesse. Jesse lines up his sons, gets to the firstborn, and Samuel concludes, oh, I get it. I know why I'm here. It's him. And then we get verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. God makes it really clear. You look on the outside, I look on the inside. You judge by the way things appear to you. You, 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 you don't see everything. I see everything there is to see. I see someone's inside. I see their heart. I see who they are when no one's looking. I don't judge the way you do. And so Sam, Samuel goes through all the sons, and none of them are it, and, and got no, no, yet, no, no, no. And Samuel asked the question, you got any more? <laughs> is there a backup somewhere? I mean, is this all you produced? Uh, you've been a little busier than that? I mean, what else you got? Show me. And sure enough, there is one more. All right, so uh, let's see. Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. David is out in the fields. David is so passed over, so neglected, that no one thinks to invite him. No one thinks it's a big deal that he's still out there with the sheep. No one noticed David. God did. God noticed. If you're a student, I have news for you. God is actually watching all the time how you keep your room, whether or not you do your chores, take out the trash dishes, how you treat your friends, God's watching. Those of you that are grown-ups, I'm telling you, God's watching. How, you, how hard you work when you're at work, what you're saying about your coworkers when they're not around or when within earshot, what you do with the time and treasure and talent that he's put in your hands, God's watching all the time. And God doesn't look at so much as what you do, but how you do it. And so... God notices David. And notice what Samuel says. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. I love it. The kid who's forgotten about, the kid who's neglected, the kid who's passed over is now the person that they have to be on their feet waiting for him to arrive before they can even sit down to eat. The one person they didn't think to invite. God does this all the time throughout the Old Testament, by the way. It's not Esau, it's Jacob. It's not uh, Reuben or Judah. It's Joseph. It's not Aaron. It's Moses. And in this case, it's not Eliab. It's David. What was it that God saw in David? I mean, you, we just heard a number of the songs. Did David live a perfect life? Those of you who know about his life? Did David live a perfect life? No, he did not. Did David sin? Big time. 
And yet the Bible says this was a man after God's own heart. Why? That's part of it. That's part of it. Psalm 40, David says this. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I have come as it is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Here's a man who wants to do what God wants him to do. And God delights in that. So let's pick up where else it happens in chapter 16. So we got a couple more verses. So Jesse sent for him, verse 12. David was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, every bit as good looking as Eliab. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to Ramah. The one who was passed over and left behind in the field is now the one they all had to wait for, is now the one who's anointed. It's what's inside that determines whether or not God can use you. And it's what's inside that will determine whether or not you're able to face down a bear, a lion, or a giant. It's what's inside. So I want to ask some questions. I want to tickle this out, okay? A lot of people look at David in, in the Old Testament, and they look at that moment where he was slinging that slingshot, and they say, that's when he became great. That's the moment that made him a great man. That's where he became king. He slew that giant. I want to say to you, David became great long before he ever set foot on that battlefield. He became great in the eyes of God because of who he was and how his heart was completely open to God and God's ways. And God saw it and recognized it when he was unnoticed, passed over, neglected, and not even thought of by his own earthly father. God noticed. That's when David became great. It, it's just that all of us recognized it when he was put up against someone that any, the rest of us would go, oh, and run away. Right? Do you know what David did after he was told that he would be the next king and anointed? You know what he did? He went back to tending sheep until God told him to do something else. He went back and tended sheep, the next king of Israel. He didn't do the kind of things that Joseph did. Hey, everybody, guess what? Guess who's number one? Not David. Went back to tending sheep. Our world is so full of stories like David's, where somebody who's the the bright star, the, the one who made it to the top, they fall from grace, that's Saul. And then an unlikely hero emerges. In this story, that's David. We all root for the little guy, don't we? But then we turn around and we keep promoting and rewarding based on talent and appearances and all these other things, even though in our hearts we all root for the little guy. It's the weirdest thing. We keep pursuing charm and abilities when what we need is character. So let me ask this question of you and me, right? I always like to read my questions so I get them right. Is there any area of my life right now where I am in disobedience to God and God's ways? Is there any area of my life right now where I am in disobedience 
to God and God's ways. If that's the case, deal with it. And I would throw in the old-fashioned repentance card. I know, it's a word we don't use anymore. Repent simply means kind of two things. One, you agree with God that God's right. And two, you start walking toward him instead of away from him. It's a twofold thing, right? So, is there any area of my life right now where I'm in disobedience to God? Because I'm telling you, the next time that you face down a bear or a lion or a giant, if there's big disobedience in your heart, that's a problem. That's a problem in that moment. Now, for some of us here, for some of you in this room, you've relied on talent and ability because you've got oods of charm, oodles of ability. Your whole life, people have kind of said that about you. And you walk into the room, you're the golden boy, golden woman. It's so easy to rely on those talents through life, but I'm telling you, at some point, you're going to face something really big and those talents aren't going to be enough. In that moment, you need character. In that moment, you need the power of the Spirit. You need what's inside. And you need what's inside to be right. Right? I have some good news for all of us today. Right? And my good news is twofold. One, if you have ever felt passed over, if you have ever felt confined or trapped in a menial place, if you have ever felt forgotten, I want you to look at David. God saw and God promoted character. And I want to encourage you to be faithful where you are, even if it's something very small, because God sees and God always promotes character. He always, always promotes character. The second thing is, if, if you're here today and you're confused about your future, you're like, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know if I'm going to pass this test. I need my house to sell or whatever it is. I don't, you know, ah, stress, stress, stress. Samuel felt that way. He did. He was worried about his friend. He was worried about the, 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 the throne. He was worried about the future of Israel. But when God told him to do something, he did it. And so I want to encourage you, do what God tells you. When you are in that step of obedience, he'll show you the next step. Right when you need it, he'll show you, but take that step of obedience. The last thing you want to do is fudge. And well, and I know God told me I should, but I'm really, you know, don't fudge. Just do it, and he'll show you the next step when you take that first step. So as we start off this series about David, I want to put this stake in the ground. Killing giants starts inside. It starts inside your mind and your heart. It starts in here long before you ever face them and see them with your eyes. Character always begins with a decision to make the choices that honor God. And I'm telling you, God is looking for men and women of character. He is. He is. So, there are some lions and bears and giants waiting for you. My encouragement for you is the encouragement I have for myself. Give God something to anoint. God anointed David because of David's heart. God saw something in there. Give God something to anoint so that when you find yourself staring down the bear, you've got a right heart with God and you've got the character that God sees and can use in that moment because you need him in that moment. Trust me.